welcome to Our Parents Did What? A Tour of the Parenting Perils of Yesteryear. I'm Diane Aragona. And I'm your co-host, Jen Tierney. Join us as we travel back in time to take a look at the sometimes unbelievable history of parenting. I don't know about you, but I want to hear some mom moments. So Emma started first grade and we... That blows my mind. I know, right? It's really... It's really strange. Um, so we live about mm, three quarters of a mile from her school. So we walk to school every day. And it's it's been really great. I it's Initially, I was like, I don't know if this is what I thought it was going to be because it was often very stressful. And she like dragged her feet the whole way there. Like, oh, this is boring. This takes too long. But now that she's used to the actual length of the walk and she knows little like landmarks along the way, like there's always a golden mm-hmm. retriever that comes out and barks at us every morning. And there's always like the flags on this side of the street, you know, so she's got things to look for. And so, right. it's, um, so it's become this thing that she actually enjoys doing. And what I really wanted from it was to have this opportunity to spend real time with her where we could talk about school and about home and about feelings and about our bodies and like all these things that like I don't necessarily get a chance to talk to her about when I'm dealing with the chaos of the full family, you know. Um, But one of the things that I learned from talking to her and spending time with her and that was then confirmed, I guess, by my friend Rachel is that so in her class, her teacher does uh, sticker books which is not uncommon from what I understand. And essentially it's like every kid gets a little book and as they do helpful things or respectful things or participatory things or whatever, they get a sticker and they put it in the book. And when they get 10 stickers, they get to pick out a prize. And Emma is probably one of those kids that would like requires good positive reinforcement and good positive interactions more than most kids. Like she needs that to know Mm -hmm. that she's doing well, but she has a problem keeping still and paying attention and like all of these things. It's just a part of her personality. So like it breaks my heart whenever she says to me like, Oh, I haven't gotten, I haven't gotten enough stickers to get a prize yet. Like she's bummed about it. She feels like not, as good as the other kids. I'm literally about to crawl out of my skin. <laughs> no, it's the worst. I'm just like, oh my God. And and I didn't and and like when I was talking to Rachel about it, she was like, Yeah, sticker books are terrible. And this was before I had There's seen There's so much research. They are so bad. Yeah. And I just They're so bad. I needed to get the feedback from Emma before I would really like believe it. Cause I was like, maybe this will work for her, you know, because sometimes she's really driven by positive reinforcement. And I was like, maybe this will maybe this will work. But it's just on the exact opposite. Now she feels really demotivated because she's like, I'm, I never get stickers. And, you know, so whereas Joey, who is like not the same kid as Emma, is like drowning in stickers. And like right. he's not a kid that needs it. He's not a kid that needs that. Kind but of that's break. the problem with sticker books. Yeah. It's like the kids who don't really need it or just are like people pleasers, like they get all these stickers. And then the kids that really, maybe if you gave them that extra boost would do fine. It's just like you said, it demotivates, it makes them, it makes them not feel like they have any self-worth. Yep. It's one of those education things that ha- was always done. So teachers just continue to do it. And I'm not knocking teachers if you do it, like, but there's some really great research out there that shows it's not 
great. And there are other things you can use yep. to motivate kids. Yeah. Yeah. So, so I've been, what's been great though, is that we have this time in the morning. And so instead what I've started doing as an alternative or a supplement to the sticker book is Emma and I, at the beginning of every week, we talk about what our goal is for the week, like as a daily thing. So one week it was every day we have to um, we have to do our best to do something that is kind for somebody else, or we have to Aww. you know think of something to tell the other one that showed that we were being respectful during the day or something like that. So I get a chance to model to her what being respectful and kind and all those things are. She gets to try to think of things that she did that kind of fit that bill, and. I think that that at least gives her some sense of accomplishment and pride in mm-hmm. in you know, what she's doing, and you know she's doing it with someone else. It's not this thing that she's trying to do on her own. So I mean, I don't know. I went into like back to school night, and all of the parents are like sitting at their kids' desk, and and she's like, "Check out your kids' sticker books," and. All of the kids' parents around me open up their kids' sticker bars. They're full of stickers. And I open up Emma's got nothing in it. And I was like, this is the worst. Uh, <laughs> this is awful. And it's hard because like I like to be really respectful of educators and like not step on toes and not be one of those parents. But at yeah. the same time, sometimes it's like, do you say something? I don't I don't know. I mean, this woman's been doing this for years. I don't think anything I say is going to change her. Probably not. But I know about it and I know how it's impacting Emma. So I know that I can sort of supplement. But not every parent has the bandwidth to supplement. No. So I don't know. It makes me sad. And it's the beginning of what I'm sure is going to be an entire educational experience full of this kind of stuff. So yay. (laughs) Well, at, at least you're starting to, you know, be aware of it now and try to counteract it. So yeah, so we'll see. And there are hopefully going to be educators going out into the world who know these newer, better tools. And yeah, who knows? So we'll see. I don't know. <laughs> I'm sorry about that, though. That's yeah. that's tough for her, and it's tough for you. Yeah, yeah, it's not the best. But I feel very fortunate no. that I have like supportive people, like like Rachel, who who knows all this. She has such a good wealth of knowledge about the world of education and teachers and educators. So she has so many great tips on ways that, you know, I can kind of counteract what's happening, which is good. So good. Find yourself a Rachel, friends. (laughs) (laughs) We love Disney in this house, as you know, Jen. Of course. Who doesn't? Big fans. (laughs) And I think if COVID hadn't happened, we would have probably gone to Disney World with Rini when she was fairly young, but then COVID happened and then that everything got pushed. But we've been watching Disney movies with her a lot and she's really into them. And she will watch a Disney movie like two or three times and she knows the words to every single song. And she sings them in the car, in the house, constantly and dances around the house. And so I turned to Chuck and I was like, we got to take her. Yeah. We have to do it. And so- at this point, you can book something and you just put like $200 down and you can get it refunded. So I'm like, I don't know what vaccinations are going to be like. Who knows? But I was like, if I can put $200 down and book something, I can always get it refunded. Mm-hmm. So I think we're going to take her yeah. for her birthday. 
That's so exciting. We're going to take her right before her birthday so mm-hmm. that she still gets in for free because she'll be two. Yeah. <laughs> oh my gosh. And then she can turn three like at the end of the trip and it won't make a difference. Yeah. So I'm pretty sure we're going to do it and I'm getting very excited. I think I'm going to book it like tonight or tomorrow, like really pull mm-hmm. the trigger on it. Oh, but wow. we've been like starting to plan and um, mm-hmm. yeah, I'm excited because I just feel like she'll be at a good age and she's oh, so yeah. into Disney right now that I'm just like when she is able to like see Elsa – She's going to lose her goddamn mind. (laughs) She's going to absolutely, like, lose it. Are you ready for a very silly topic? Oh, yes. I was originally researching some very intense things. I didn't – I thought there would be more funny there. But it turns out that, like, the history of the use of opium with children is not very funny. Oh no! It's really, really dark and terrible, and full of like terrible statistics. And I was just like, "Oh no!" Oh, so I was like, "I don't think I want to like go there right now." But eventually, I think we should. It would be interesting, like to to look at the history of some of like the bad ways that we've treated common childhood illnesses. Totally. And like opium was like one of the big ways that we did that, and now is like a current national other pandemic yeah another crisis so it's sort of like timely and interesting but i was like i can't i can't right now it was just too much so instead i'm going to tell you about the history and cultural significance of the hiccup whoa (laughs) really yeah yep oh my god i'm excited let's go yeah it's just a really nice simple little like hopefully it won't be like a super long episode it's just gonna be kind of like fun oh i love it so yes, just the hiccup. So first of all, let's talk about what hiccups are. Diane, you are probably going to be very familiar with most of this because this is all the the area of the throat that you are professionally <laughs> well acquainted with. So the medical term for hiccups is singultus. Oh, I didn't know that. Mm-hmm. It means it's like Latin for the sobbing sound you make when you cry or something like that. It's it's the, like the one thing I didn't write down was it's like a dramatic Latin, name. Like, yeah, it's like it's like the the air you suck in as you're sobbing or something. Ah, like that. okay. From a physiological standpoint, a hiccup occurs when the diaphragm and the intercostal muscles contract, and so this makes a person suddenly and reflexively intake air, and that in turn causes the glottis, 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 glottis to shut which results in a hiccup sound. Is a glottis a muscle? The glottis? Well, is it the epiglottis that you're talking about or the glottis? It's just the glottis. The glottis, because I know the epiglottis. Let me double check for you. So it's like between the two vocal folds mm-hmm. is the glottis. And so oh, it, yes. it sort of like snaps oh, shut. Oh, so the actual glottis closes. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So as it closes, that's that sound that gets made. It's just like that shutting happening really quick. Right. So what's really cool about the hiccup is that it's actually real life in our faces evidence of evolution. Oh. Because it's a vestige of something that we used to need that we don't need anymore. Do you know why people hiccup? No. (laughs) Because it's fascinating. (laughs) Well, let me, you tell me. I I think about it. No, no, no. Give Give it a quick guess. Why do we hiccup? Is it something about like so that we keep intaking air? Like if we're like uh, p- 
panicking? I don't know. I don't know. Yeah, so sort of. So so basically, like if you look way back through evolution, like way before primates, way before any of that, we evolved from amphibians and fish, right? Mm-hmm. And so as fish were were making their way onto land, there was a point in evolution where there were creatures that were both fish and land animals where they could breathe through gills in the water and then breathe air on the land. And so in order to do that, to switch from one breathing method to another, they had to shut their glottis so that they could transition. Oh, right? this makes sense. Okay. So basically, instead of extracting oxygen from the water through their gills, they would open their glottis and then be able to breathe through their esophagus into lungs. Okay. And then they would shut the glottis and then they would start to breathe through their gills. Uh, or at least that is the the theory. Makes sense. I think that probably is like accurate because that's how yeah. amphibians do it. Right. So they, they sort of look at how amphibians breathe and then just apply it to the evolution to what we are now. So right now there's, for humans, there's no purpose at all for the glottis to do that. It doesn't need to, but... It's just this uncontrollable reflex that happens because your your body goes, you know, like it, it's like the nerves get stimulated in like a funny way that makes it go, oh, I have to close my glottis <laughs> for breathing That's reasons. so weird. Yeah. So it just sort of like happens. But because it's this thing that's reflexive that you can't control, culturally, basically universally, it's seen as this like undesirable, embarrassing thing. It's not seen as like anything that anybody wants to happen. It's like, no, oh, people laugh at you when you get the hiccups. It's like silly. <laughs> and so as a result, culturally, throughout time, there's lots of really interesting stories and folklore and, and things around like superstitions involving hiccups, you know, wild cures for hiccups. And so a lot of these are just like things that ever like anyone does, but it's funny to think about this being something that was passed down from like grandmother to daughter to child to, you know, like it's, it's one of those things that like your grandmother would say to you, Oh, go do this. And so it's something that we, we constantly pass down further and further to children as like this thing. And so you get children who talk about like, Oh, if you have the hiccups, you do this. And it's not like they've ever seen that work. It's just like the story we tell, you know? So I'm going to go through some of the superstitions and things around hiccups and then and then some of the the cures, quote unquote cures for hiccups. So one of the most common superstitions here in America is that if a mother has hiccups often when she's pregnant, the baby will have hiccups often after birth. Huh. Which I sort of thought was strange, specifically because all of my babies had hiccups constantly (laughs) while I was pregnant I never had the hiccups and they haven't really had the hiccups since being born but while babies were inside of me it was a constant like my belly was always I was stop hiccuping so funny really funny so like I have a very special relationship with the hiccup (laughs) oh my god it's really weird to feel another human hiccuping inside of your body I don't know if she ever had the hiccups while I was pregnant. I mean, maybe she must have and I just like was sleeping or didn't notice, but it's not something that I specifically remember happening. Yeah. It was pretty constant for for me with all three of the kids. It was really funny. It'd just be like, are they okay? 
<laughs> so yeah so i wonder i didn't see anything about like if your baby hiccups a lot in utero it means this like there was nothing like that so i was like maybe it was just me maybe i just have hiccupy babies so another superstition says that if you have the hiccups someone is missing you i've heard that that's like a common one right and so that's like really popular in europe and asia and there are some variations on it in hungary greece and india they often say that if you have the hiccups, somebody's talking badly about you. Somebody's gossiping oh. around you or, or you know, like complaining about you or whatever. And in those cultures and some other ones, it's actually linked to the evil eye, to Melokia. I was going to ask that because I was like, this has like an evil eye vibe to yep, it. Yep. It's very much like, oh, someone has like cursed you. And you, so that's like, right. you get some of that in like the Romani culture. So yeah, I was like, oh, okay. All right. Because it's this thing you can't control and it just happens and you don't know when it's going to stop. In Russia, they actually go through this exercise where they will list out the people who they know. And the last person who you say before your hiccup stop is the person who was thinking about you or talking about you or whatever. Oh. Right? So they're just like, I'll just list everybody until I get to the person who's talking about me. And that's oh, how you no. get rid of them there is you like have to identify the person who's thinking about you. So I'm just going to rattle off some of the other like funny things about hiccups in different cultures and, and how people got rid of them, right? So in 10th century England, it was believed that hiccups were caused by elves. And I don't know if you are familiar with like the idea of like fantasy in England, Scotland, Ireland, Wales, but like it's pretty malevolent. Like elves weren't like yeah. cute little like there were no legolas elves it was like they were demons yeah well it's it's like that in iceland too like they mm -hmm. really believe in their elves and they like steal children and yes exactly there's a lot of like fairies and things yeah. that like mean you ill will and you know so they believed that hiccups were caused by elves and that if you got the hiccups you needed to perform basically like essentially an in-home exorcism <laughs> Like you needed to exercise oh. the Ugh. demon elf from your house. And so the way that they would do this is they would prepare an herbal salve. They would then anoint whoever, you know, has the, mm -hmm. the hiccups. And then that person would have to sing a religious song in Latin or recite the Lord's Prayer backwards. Backwards? Backwards. I was like, oh, no. I could not do that. That's stressful. I know. I was like, I can't even do my ABCs backwards. Jeez. <laughs> so yeah, I was like, all right, let's, okay. Okay. So there are other traditions where people place something wet on their forehead and often the wetness is spit. <laughs> and I was like, Ew. yes, spit. We're <laughs> so back it's to like, spit. Yeah, right. So it's like a napkin or a tissue or something or a string. Um, I read about how the the Romani people are a specific group within the Romani people. They'll put spit on a red string and put a key on the string. And then like with salt, how you put it over your shoulder, you throw the key over your shoulder. Oh. But I can imagine like people doing this with children and the kids just yeah. being like, yeah, this is how we get rid of hiccups. <laughs> <laughs> it's just, it's so funny, the things that we do. So uh, back to Ireland, when you get the hiccups in Ireland, I think this is a present day thing. They okay. recommend that you imagine a green cow grazing in a field of blue grass. Re oh, wait, <laughs> and that will get rid of your hiccups. Is that just like a distraction technique? I wonder, like, does it actually kind of work because it like calms... I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. I was like, that's an interesting one. That's I didn't see anything else quite like that one. I was like, all right, 
Okay. Cool. I'm going to try that next time. (laughs) So in Scotland in the 16th century, uh, there are records of people holding their chin and singing a religious song at the same time that that would work. There were a lot of different cultures that were like, hold a part of your face, hold your cheek, hold your nose, hold your, you know, like hold a part of your face. You know, in Scotland, they'd also sing a religious song because like if something's happening that's unexplained, it's probably something evil. Yeah. And you got to sing religious, sing it away. Yeah. (laughs) Vikings would take, take their tongue in a piece of cloth and hold it out from their mouth and count as a way to get rid of hiccups. They would like, one, two, three, four. That's really funny. Yeah, I thought that was pretty good. In Norway, they believe that drinking a glass of water when you have the hiccups is pretty common. Like a lot of people say, oh, try drinking a glass of water. In Norway, they put a knife in the water, like pointy side down into the water and drink that. And for some reason, the knife being in there makes a difference. That's the magic touch. Right? In in Finland, it is a spoon. Oh. (laughs) And this one, this one's kind of like the green cow in the blue field. Okay. In Japan... They believe that the Japanese word for soybeans gets rid of hiccups. All you have to do is say the Japanese word for soybeans and your hiccups will be gone. I highly doubt that. (laughs) But I think you have to say it like over and over until they're gone. No, no. (laughs) No, I think like the recommendation was you had to say it not. You can't just sit there and say, oh, I'll just say the word for soybeans and it'll go away. Somebody has to ask you a question in which the answer to that question is soybeans. I was like, <laughs> okay. I don't know. I was like, all right, it's cool. Fine. <laughs> so some other common cures still used today. Scaring someone. Oh, yeah. Close your ears. Hold your breath. Drink water. Drink water backwards. Okay. That's the one that I was always told as a child is drink water backwards. Mm-hmm, which just is a big mess. Take a spoonful of sugar or drink pickle juice. These are all like things mm. that people do when they get the hiccups. So obviously, because this is America, we've spent research dollars on figuring out the hiccup and how to cure it. Of course. <laughs> you know? Because it's just it's just so detrimental. We I need know. to stop so, the hiccup. So what I should say is that there are variations on the hiccup. It is like a spectrum. There are many people on this planet, probably most people on this planet, who at some point in their life will get the hiccups. And it will probably be for a couple minutes at most. And they might get them from time to time throughout their lives. Fine. Then there are people who get these episodes of hiccups that can last up to 48 hours. Oh, yes. Then there are people who have chronic hiccups. And they're usually caused by like a like a bad heartburn problem or by a tumor or like something like that and like it's they just have them always so doing research into it for the people who actually suffer from them i'm like okay that's fair cool let's figure it out for those folks so one of the things that i like to remind people of mostly myself is that (laughs) if there is an invention in this world that seems silly to you it isn't made for you, but it's being marketed to you because getting you to buy it will make it so that they can keep manufacturing the thing that's actually meant for somebody who has an actual disease. Right. So like one of my favorite examples of this is it's a silicon device that you can hold between your teeth in your mouth and it looks like a very large tongue with like nubby things on it, right? And you hold it and 
lick your cat with this silicone tongue, right? And the first time I saw it, I was like, this is absurd and ridiculous. And how are people actually buying this? This beautiful blonde woman holding this thing in her mouth, like licking her cat. And I was just like, what in the world? What? And then someone like I was being an ass about it. And I was just like, what a stupid thing. Why? Why does this even exist? Like, why would people need to lick their cats? And somebody was like, Jen, this is for people who are paraplegic, who want to have like nice relationships with their cats and can't pet them. And I was like, oh, my God. I didn't even think of that. Right? Exactly. Because it's not made for you and me. But like they have to get people like us to buy that kind of stuff because otherwise like there aren't enough people in the world who actually need it to like make manufacturing a thing. So so that's the problem that they've run into with the hiccup curing straw, which is an actual device that, you know, you can buy that is very expensive to make and most average people don't need it but it's it's a straw that essentially as you're drinking through it it requires so much extra suction from you mm. to actually get water into your mouth that it forces all of those muscles and those nerves mm-hmm. uh-huh. to move really slowly because that's yep. the key to curing hiccups it's essentially swallowing very slowly. Yeah, getting those muscles to stop mm-hmm. contracting so quickly. Exactly. So the problem with the straw is that it works really well. It works for, I think they said, 98% of people who suffer from hiccups find that it stops when they use the straw. But it's not the kind of thing that like a lot of people are going to buy. <laughs> You know, like it's just not most people get hiccups and they're gone in a few minutes and like they move on with their days. Right. So like, what are you going to like buy this thing and keep it in your purse for like that one time every few years you get the hiccups? It doesn't even make sense. So yeah, the reason why things like pickle juice, vinegar, sugar, and things like that help is because they have a similar effect on, Mm -hmm. on those muscles as you're swallowing them they cause those nerves to behave differently. They, they either overstimulate them or understimulate them so that like it stops the cycle yeah. that's occurring that's causing the hiccups. And so there's a 13-year-old girl whose name is Mallory Kievman who invented the hiccup pop, which is a lollipop that is made from sugar and apple cider vinegar. And you can suck on it and it will stop your hiccups. Um, And she is the CEO of her own company. (laughs) Wow. What's her name again? Mallory Kievman. Good for her. I don't remember when this article was from, so she could be like 20 now. (laughs) But (laughs) She's older than us. She's She's like, like, come on, guys. Like, I left the hiccup pop back in my teens. (laughs) I've moved on to bigger and better things. But I thought that was really great that, like, this young girl, because she was like, I get hiccups all the time. It drives me crazy. I've tried everything. And these are the things that work best for me. So I'm going to like manufacture these lollipops. That's very cool. Yeah. And she got like angel investors and everything. I was like, geez. Wow. Good job, girl. So, so yeah, that's all about hiccups. (laughs) It's so interesting to hear all the different old wives tales, I guess you Mm -hmm. would call them of like, what's going to cure it. And I think it's funny how like hiccups are just such a universal thing. Mm -hmm. Everybody gets the hiccups and it's annoying for everybody. And even like, hiccups that's like a word that Rini learned really quickly and very early right because you get the hiccups and she'd be like hiccups hiccups Mm -hmm. 
Yeah, it's an easy word for kids to say. Yeah. And my kids get them, I mean, not all the time, but like from time to time, and they think it's hilarious. It's like, it's yeah. like any other bodily function. It's a riot. Oh, yeah. Farting. Farting is like burping. My kids cannot right now. We have a couple different toys that make burp or fart sounds, like just like as part of their like huge vocabulary of different random things that they do like there's this little cat that like is really cute and says all kinds of things about rainbows and then all of a sudden out of nowhere every like now and then it burps and i'm like and they just that's like weird fall over laughing so like thank you hiccups for being an eternal (laughs) source of hilarity in my house and many others So you can find us online in many places. We are on Facebook and Twitter and Instagram. Uh, We are always at OPDW Podcast. You can send us email at OPDWPodcast at gmail.com. If you want to give us a review on whatever podcast listening platform you use, we're always thrilled to get those. They really help people find the show and they just fill our hearts with so much love. Yes. And our music is by Theo Rosenberg. So thank you, Theo. Thank you, Theo. Okay, Jen. Until next time. Boo. Did it work? Are they gone?